for your word this morning that reminds us, that encourages us, that shows us the victory of your death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you that 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 old accuser has lost his power to accuse us because you made purification for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, silencing every voice of accusation. So, Lord, bring us into that place of childlike trust that you call us to in the gospel today to sit at your feet and to listen to what you have to teach us in your word. Lord, more than information, we want transformation. By We know that that comes by gazing at you, Jesus, by looking at you, by ministering to you, by receiving from you, Lord. So we just open ourselves to everything that you have to speak to us in this house today and that we would go from this place transformed from glory to glory. In your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a great day to be alive in Christ Jesus. Uh, this morning, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm going to want to really home in on this phrase, the radiance of God's glory. Um, but I want to do a little bit of a, a background first about glory. So uh, the word is used, as you know, in the Old Testament quite frequently. And it's a Hebrew word, kavod. And the, where the idea of glory originally comes from, it has to do with one's um, status or reputation or honor in society. So somebody in the ancient world, say, who was a wealthy king and had lots of uh, jewelry and uh, just carried that sort of splendor in his presence and was of great uh, repute, would have been somebody who would be described as having glory or great glory. But it also uh, also carries the connotation of a visible splendor. Okay? So when the Old Testament talks about God manifesting his glory, it has to do with the holiness of his reputation and the honor of his name. But it's also a visible display of his splendor when he manifests his presence. So, for instance, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses pleads with God, show me your glory. And God says, I will let all my goodness pass before you. Okay. So God's glory has to do with his goodness, right? And then he proclaims to Moses that he is the Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity, and so on and so forth. Okay. So God's glory has to do with his character and his nature, but also is manifest through his visible uh, presence through manifestations of his presence. So that's kind of the backdrop of the word glory. But in the Old Testament, um, apart from Moses, God's glory was it was basically inaccessible. And even even Moses had to, after encountering God's visible glory, came down from the mountain and wore a veil over his face because his face was like glowing and it was like a reflection of God's glory. Can you imagine having that kind of encounter? But the Lord would call Moses up on this mountaintop into his glory. And he said, look, nobody else can come with you. And even the animals, they, if they wander off and they touch the mountain, they got to be stoned to death. Okay. Now, the reason was that he was trying to, to show that his presence is holy and sacred and nothing that is not pure can come into his presence unless he calls it up. Okay, a man, imagine being that little goat kid that gets wandered off and lost. <laughs> Whoops. But the, 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 uh, the point that I want you to hear is that God's glory was largely inaccessible. But at the same time, 
he was insistent on his glorious presence dwelling with his people, the Israelites, throughout the Old Testament. But there were boundaries to that glory and being able to encounter it. The reason being that human beings are, are stained with impurity and sin. And so they can't come into God's presence because it's too good and beautiful and pure. And so that's why there was a sacrificial system. And that's why there was a, a priesthood. There was a way for God to mediate his presence and his blessings to his people. But his visible splendor was an inaccessible thing. You couldn't just stroll on into the tent of meeting because you would... Thump. <laughs> right? Okay, now that things change, it doesn't stay that way in the biblical storyline, does it? Because God chooses the Old Testament to dwell on a mountaintop and then he chooses to dwell in a tabernacle that is a, a, a mobile home of sorts that goes with the children. And then he chooses to dwell a little bit more permanently in a temple. But none of those things last because God has a better plan for the manifestation of his glory among humanity. One that will make his glorious presence accessible to human beings because that's what God wants. He wants humans to recognize how pure his presence is, not so that they'll run away from it, so that they'll see their need for something to be done to purify them so that they can come back into his presence and enjoy him. Here's what we read in John chapter 1. This isn't in the readings this morning, I realize, but it's just too relevant to the topic. John is talking about Jesus and he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the same word for tabernacle in the Old Testament. Isn't that cool? Come on, say, that's cool. So Jesus is the tabernacle of God's glory in flesh. And, it, and then John says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so the radiance of God's splendor took on human flesh in a humble human being. That's an incredible thing. Christianity is so paradoxical. It doesn't make sense in so many ways. It can only make sense by trusting God's revelation of himself. Because it's so, you couldn't make this up. And so Jesus is the visible splendor of God's glory. And we, that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 1 today. So I want to look and just walk through the first three verses of Hebrews chapter uh, 1 today. Uh, and, and talk about this this one who is the radiance of God's glory. So we read this in verse 1. In the past, God spoke. Okay, God is a God who speaks. He wants to make himself known. But in the past, he spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So the phrase many times in various ways, the language implies impartial and fragmentary. So God was speaking through prophets, but he was giving little snippets about who he is and what it meant to live for him. It wasn't a full revelation yet of who he was. It was valid. It was true. Okay, All of the Old Testament prophets, what they say about God is true and valid, but it was impartial revelation. But the author tells us, but in these last days, when the New Testament says last days, it's talking about the time between when Christ walked the earth and the time in the future when he will return. Those are, that's the last epic of human history that we're living in right now. And he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so the point that he's making is that this isn't just a spokesman like the prophets. This is a well-acquainted family member who can represent him rightly. 
and give the fullness of the revelation of who he is. He's spoken to us by his son. And then he says, um, by the way, he's going to be the inheritor. He's the heir of all things. Okay. In the Greek, do you know what that word, all, that phrase, all things means? All things. <laughs> it means all things. It's a great translation. And so he's like, by the way, the whole, every square inch of the created cosmos and of the, all of the heavens are going to stand face to face, face with him. He's the heir of all things. Everything is working towards him in his reigning over it. Okay, that was a little by the way. And then there's another by the way. He says, oh yeah, also the whole universe was made through him, the sun. Okay, so just he's like, I'm reminding you of who this, who we're, who we're talking about here. He was the, he's the agent of creation. And then he says this, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Holy Spirit, give us revelation this morning of Jesus as the radiance of God's glory. He reflects it. He perfectly demonstrates it. He doesn't hold any of the revelation back. Everything that Jesus did was a perfect revelation of the Father and Creator of all things. Think about that. Jesus himself says this too, right? His disciples say, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus Rolls his eyes. <laughs> it doesn't say that, but I imagine that he must have a few times at the disciples. And it says, don't you see by now that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Everything I do, my ministry, everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I teach, every sick body I heal, every time I cast out a demon, every time I raise a dead body, I am showing you exactly who God is. He's the Father and Creator of all who wants to restore all things and make all things new. So whether it was his compassion for the poor and the sick, his patience with his bumbling disciples, we could include ourselves in that group, his indignation at religious hypocrisy, his humility and his gentleness, all of it is a reflection of the splendor and radiant beauty of the eternal God. It's incredible. Even the lowliest acts, right, like that we read of today, bringing little children into his presence to bless them. Little ones who were not honored by their society at the time. They were just little rascals. They were just seen as little rascals. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Even that was a perfect reflection of the Father's heart, of who God is. Okay? So you can see why he says the prophets, what they spoke in the Old Testament, it was a partial revelation. In Christ, we have the radiance of God's glory. It's actually shining through him, permeating his being. In him is all the fullness of the deity. That's what Colossians says. Okay. This is why I just want to make a sort of a side point, a devotional point. This is why reading the Gospels is so important, especially I tell new believers who've just given their heart to Jesus. I always make sure that they have a Bible and I say, it's really important that you read this and a lot of it's going to be confusing. You're going to learn more and more about it over time as you as you attend church and things like that. But start with the Gospels, read through the Gospels because you need to get acquainted with Jesus. Because when you see Jesus speaking and acting and doing, you see God on display. You see what he's like in all of his perfection. That's why reading the Gospels is such an important devotional practice for us so that we um, never forget who God is.
That's where he's perfectly represented. Now, oh yeah, then there's another, by the way. Oh, by the way, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Do you know what all things in the Greek means? <laughs> okay, okay, you're listening. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That is that by his own intention and by his own power, he's holding the breath, the oxygen that's in your lungs. He's holding it together right now and making it function. Everybody do this. <sighs> Jesus is sustaining that. Now, here's, here's, here's where he goes. After he says, he could say this, he's the radiance of God's glory. He exactly represents his being. So what he did was he came and he eradicated all of his enemies. What he did was he came and he triumphed over everybody and anything that stood in his way. That's what he could have said, but it wouldn't have been right. After he had provided purification for sins. The radiance of God's glory shows up in a human being not to walk around and stomp people and tell them how dirty, rotten, sinner scoundrels they are, though he does challenge our sin and our unbelief. He came to make purification for sins. This is the ultimate display of the glory of God. Jesus hanging on that tree. Because he's transforming it from an instrument of death and torture into an instrument of glory. So when we put our trust there, there's a sense in which we, we are recognizing the radiance of God's glory, his great love for us and his willingness to do that for us. But there's a sense in which when we put our trust there that he actually draws us up into his glory. And the author of Hebrews is going to say that in chapter 2. That he brought many to glory. So when Jesus hung there, he was displaying exactly who God was. A God who looked at you and me and all of our waywardness and said, Hell? No way, no how. I am going to do something about this. But the problem was this, and this is what had to be done. It wasn't that we needed an example to live a better moral life. Fundamentally, what we needed was a sacrifice that could be so perfect and spotless that it would actually atone, that it would make reparation for our sins once and for all. Because the blood of bulls and goats, the old sacrificial system, it can't actually take away sin. It can't break the power of sin over the human heart. Not even God's beautiful and holy law can break the power of sin in our lives. All it can do is make us try and try and try harder and realize how we can't break the power of sin ourselves. And so God, when the time was right, at the perfect time, while we were weak, Romans 5 says, he sent Jesus and proved his love for us by dying for us while we still were sinners. So purification is what needed to happen. Purification hadn't been accomplished, which is why the people and even the animals had to stay away from the mountain where God's glory dwelt. 
It's why nobody could go into the Holy of Holies other than the high priest who had been invited to come in and to make the sacrifice and to sprinkle the blood. So the glory was inaccessible. And what had to happen and what God's heart was that people wouldn't have to stay outside of his glorious presence. This, this I hope, puts new meaning for you on that well-known memory verse from Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we were unable to access it. We lived below it at the bottom of the mountain. And God sent his son to bring you up to the top of the mountain. To remove the veil between you and him and to shine his radiant glory upon you. Jesus, uh, the first John chapter one says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So there's a purification that happened when Jesus was washing his disciples feet about to go to the cross. Peter was like, no, 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 no. You can't wash my feet. That's not right. And Jesus said to him, unless I wash you, you have no place with me. There is no place in the presence of the eternal and holy God for anyone who does not come to Jesus for washing or allow Jesus to wash them. It's not all paths, all paths lead to the same mountaintop. Jesus says otherwise. And, and we fail to believe him at our own risk, the risk of not feeling the urgency to share with people that God wants to bring them back into his presence and purify them of their sins. Because if there's some other way that people can get there back into his presence, then Jesus was sent and died for no reason. It was a rather brutal thing for the father to do and pointless because you could just choose another path. And so as Christians, we are called to embrace that, that truth that Jesus and Jesus alone made purification for sins. And so here's how it works. Not only did God want to save people from hell, he wanted to purify us from our sin, which was ba- is bad for us anyway. And not only did he want to purify us from our sin, he wanted to purify us so he could bring us into his presence to have fellowship with him forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because he's a good father who longs. For the spirit he's placed within you and wants to bring purity into your life and to run to you and throw his arms around you. So the purpose of purification, here's my here's the point I want to make about this section. The purpose of purification is not about qualifying to enter some pearly gates when you die. Purification is about getting you back into God's presence right now. Pearly gates. St. Peter weighing your deeds, bad theology. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so Jesus is less concerned with getting you from here into heaven. He's more concerned with getting heaven into you right here. So that you walk in relationship with him and that heaven dwells with you now. Watch where this goes because it's a, it, this is so amazing and it's a little thing in the passage, but we don't want to miss it. It says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down. Okay, everybody stand up for a second. <clears throat> now sit down. What do we do when we sit down? Something's done. It's completed. It's final. So when Jesus entered heaven in all of his glory after making purifications for sin, he sat down, which means it is 
finished forever. So when we see the accuser, like we did in the book of Job, coming to God and saying, hey, did you see my servant over there? Oh, yeah, they only love you because of blah, 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 blah. The blood of Jesus has made you free from all accusations. Because now Jesus stands on your behalf and says, I've made him righteous. I've made her righteous and paid by my blood. There's no accusation that can stand against them. Satan will make you believe that you can be accused, but you cannot be accused at the throne of God by the devil because the blood of Jesus covers you. So sometimes some of us who struggle with that spirit of accusation and condemnation that's always coming against us, okay? Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and sometimes he's actually saying, hey, I want you to come to me and confess this, and I'm going to help you get rid of it. We all know that, right? But it, it is, I think, common among Christians because the enemy is so good at it, at hearing the voice of the enemy shaming you and condemning you and accusing you about you're not good enough. If you have thoughts, I don't do enough for God. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't feel like I can talk to him today because I'm done. That is the voice of the devil. And you need to say to the devil, he sat down. <laughs> it's done. The accusations are done and the condemnation all falls to the ground. I hope you take that with you into the week and think about the fact that Jesus' work on your behalf is finished and it's complete. Okay? His blood has covered you and he's not letting you go. No one can snatch you from his hands. Okay? And your righteousness is not your own anyways. It's Jesus' righteousness. Okay. Um, I, 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 I can't finish without just connecting this to mission, right? I want us to be a church on mission that sees our main role outside of these walls. Okay. And there's a connection here. Hebrews, um, the next chapter, and you have the reading in your, uh, in your bulletin, but the next chapter, there's an interesting, there's a couple of interesting phrases in verse 10. It tells us in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, right? Interesting. It doesn't say heaven, it could, it could be an interchangeable term, but it says that it brought many sons and daughters to glory is now God is sharing his own visible splendor and his reputation, his honor, his purity. He's sharing all that with you. You are invited into it because you've been purified of your sins. If you've put your trust in Jesus, that's incredible. Okay. Now here's so, so, and, and then he brings us into that glory and puts it in us, filling us with his Holy Spirit. This is why I say we need to pray all the time that I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. I need to be freshly filled by you. Freshly fill me and release the glory of God through me in all that I do today. In all that I do this week when I go out in public. Now, here's where I want to go. I want to look at verse 11. And it says this is the, this is the next piece that I just couldn't not mention today. It says, both the one who makes people holy. Okay, right? That's Jesus. And those who are made holy are of the same family. The giver and the recipients are now in the same family. The one who accomplished the work for you that you couldn't accomplish yourself. You are in his family. Now it gets even better. And this is, this is again, going back to the sometimes the lack of confidence that we, we have or we feel to approach God or to minister on his behalf. He says, so So it's an important. So because he's purified you and considers you family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. 
on your worst day, at your lowest point, when you feel like you're stuck in the muck, in the mire of discouragement, sin, brokenness, weariness, Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. That having confidence in that is what will lift us out of that place of lacking confidence. It will lift us out of the muck and mire of sin. It will lift us out of brokenness. Because there's two ways that you can live based on what Jesus did for you. One, you can try to live for his heart or you can live from his heart. You can try to live for pleasing him or you can live from the fact that Jesus has pleased God on your behalf and you're living from that place of God already being pleased with you because Jesus is in you. That should give us confidence. So, the glory of God is on you. (laughs) Now, we say that sometimes when someone has a very unique anointing and we say, the glory of God is all over you and that's good, I like that. But really, for every person who has laid down their life and trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, God's glory is on you and in you. His splendor. So now, here's the connection to mission and we'll close. Isaiah 61, such such a relevant pertinent passage for the the, the days that we are living in. We read, or it's Isaiah 60 rather. We read this, arise, shine. This is a vision Isaiah sees. Arise, shine. He's speaking to God's people. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now he says, see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, God's people, carriers of his glorious presence. Oh, that our eyes would be open to what we carry inside of us. Because when you walk into Publix for your groceries, or when you walk into Starbucks for your morning coffee, When you go to, uh, I don't know where you go, Chipotle for lunch, you're surrounded by people who are trapped in the darkness, blindness, sickness, disease, and you carry the answer to all of that in you. Now, I'm not going to... Uh, tell you to go in and announce to everybody that the glory of God is in you and if they want to be broken, set free from, you know, to come to you or something like that. It, but I do want to give a practical challenge today to everybody, myself included. This is something that you can do because it's very simple to learn to release God's presence and glory through you to others. Jesus made purification for your sins, but he also made sins for the sins of the whole world. And it's through us communicating that message and, and, and displaying the radiance of God's glory that other people will be drawn into it. So here's a simple way to start. Pray before leaving your house in the morning. We should do that every, every morning. Father, give me opportunities to radiate your glory today and help me to see, Father, that it's in me. Help me to know and be confident in your love that you want to use me even if I'm not feeling great or I'm not feeling up for it. Father, give me opportunities today to bless others in Jesus' name for your glory is in me and I want to radiate Jesus to people. Now, here's the practical thing that you could do this week. Wherever you're at, 
whether it's a coffee shop or restaurant or whatever, find a stranger and buy their coffee or buy their lunch or their dinner and tell them that you just want to bless them because God has blessed you. I I mean, I don't need to tell you exactly what to say. But what that does is it opens people up, it, it, it softens them, it gets, makes them interested. Who are you? And then you can share whatever God puts on your heart to share. Yesterday, so here's, here's just, a, there's so, so many simple ways we can do this. We're outside doing yard work. And uh, my wife got some b- bougainvillea, is that what it's called? I can't even say it got thorns on it that scratch your skin up and we're, we're doing uh, mulch and stuff and we've been outside for a couple hours and the kids were out playing and this car drives by and he goes by and he kind of slows down and turns around comes back this is the weirdest thing i've ever had happen to me like one of the weirdest things the, they they roll down it was, it's this nice car kind of sporty car and the guy rolls in the, in the passenger seat and woman's driving young young couple and looking they're looking snazzy and the guy says i have a crazy question for you he goes I, I will give you $20 if you iron this shirt for me. We're on our way to a wedding at the Greek Orthodox Church around the corner. I got a stain on my shirt on the way here. I had to stop at the mall. I couldn't even find a steamer or anything. I will give you, he's like laughing. And I'm like, I'm just like, what? I'm like, I've never had anybody stop the road on the street, call out to me and ask me to iron their shirt. So we took this shirt, of course, and we're laughing, and I got to stand out there with them and get to know the couple a little bit. And I thought, and, and I thought, divine setup. For sure. You see, because just by virtue of Jesus living in me, in my wife, the glory of God draw, is drawing people in this season like crazy to hear the message of the gospel. So I gave them the shirt back. I said, put the $20 back in. I said, we want to bless you, and we want you to see this as a sign of the, the gift that we know we've received through Jesus who, who died for our sins, and we want you to know that he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And we blessed them and sent them on our way. It was that simple. We plant the seeds, the glory of God shines through the generosity and the joy that we have, and so God wants to open opportunities like that all through your week this week, all through your week. If you find yourself in like a slightly strange situation or a conversation with a stranger, you better believe it's a divine appointment. You better believe. Maybe ask him if you can pray for them. Buy their coffee. Buy their meal. Everybody going to do it? Going to buy a stranger's meal or coffee? Tell them Jesus loves them? Come on. Let's do it. Okay. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, thank you for the encouragement of your word that uh, throws down the accusations of the enemy and builds us up and reminds us of who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you that you're a father who loves his children and has freely bestowed your own righteousness, your own glory upon us. Lord, we can never return. We can never return that grace and that gift to you. But we live from the fact that we've been set free, that we are loved eternally. And that we are partakers of your glory, of your nature. And so, Father, I pray that this week that you would open our eyes to the opportunities around us because the harvest is plentiful. Lord, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us the heart of laborers to to, to not overthink it, but to simply see ourselves in situations, Lord, 
and to feel your heart for the people around us. People who are lost without you. People who are in pain, who are in poverty, who are in despair. People who just are blissfully ignorant of who you are. And to be willing to step into those situations and to open our mouths so that your glory and your radiance, Jesus, is released in and through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. On page 12, let us uh, confess the faith that we hold together as God's people. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.